There you go. Four punch, five punch, six punch combination. Body shot, body shot. Bang, 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 bang. Telling him not to counter punch. Welcome, fight fans. It's time for the main event of the week. We got the Fight City podcast. This being episode 11, had quite a big week of boxing, and we have two of the brightest minds in the sport here to discuss it with me. I, myself, Alden Kodesh, will be interviewing Derek Santos, the trainer of former light heavyweight challenger, title challenger Derek Santos, as well as the editor-in-chief of thefightcity.com, Michael Carbert. First up with Derek Santos, we'll be discussing Pacquiao Broner, the takeaways, the recap. We'll be discussing Demetrius Andrade's big stoppage victory over Artur Akovov on Friday. We'll be discussing Marcus Brown, who had one of the most gory victories imaginable against Badu Jack and solidifying his status as the mandatory challenger for Alexander Gazdik in the future at 175, as well as Jorge Linares, who shockingly was knocked out in the first round by Pablo Cesar Cano. Later on with Michael Carbert, we'll be talking about top-ranked card that featured Oscar Rivas' big last-round stoppage victory over Bryant Jennings and its impact on Canadian boxing. Shakur Stevenson, the 2016 Olympic silver medalist, who put on another sensational performance against Jesse Rosales as he improved to 10-0 and is now calling out the champions at 126. And we'll conclude with a couple upcoming articles on thefightcity.com, which cover the life of Salvador Sanchez, who would have turned 60 this coming Saturday, as well as George Foreman versus Ron Lyle, which is one of the greatest fights in the history of boxing. Stay tuned. And next up, we have Derek Santos, trainer of former light heavyweight title challenger Sullivan Barrera, here to join us and give his take on the events of this weekend. How are you tonight, Derek? I'm doing good. Great, great. So let's get right into it. Biggest event of this weekend, Manny Pacquiao's victory over Adrian Broner. Very high level. What was your take? Well, unfortunately... um... For Broner fans, it was one of those situations that once again, you know, it's like being told all the time that the person is going to change and show you something different, and they don't. Yeah. Um, I think, unfortunately, uh, this time around, the boxing community might be done with him. Um, I, I just, I find it interesting. I kept saying that Adrian Broner had all the talent in the world to have gotten to be an elite boxer. He had all the talent in the world that you would think to beat Manny Pacquiao, he's actually looked the bigger fighter yeah. uh, in the ring that night. Yet once again, you know, he failed to um, pull the trigger, failed to throw combinations. He worked very sparingly, um, just trying to counter. Um, it's really like a generic, very bad generic version of Floyd Mayweather. And, and, I, and I say that with all due respect to him because he does have the talent. Yep. Um, to do so, but once again, like I told everybody before the fight, I cannot bet one dollar on him until he shows me something different. Absolutely, I 
I, I think I was uh, pretty fed up and, and wrote him off after his performance against Mikey Garcia in 2017, I believe it was. Uh, he didn't really give much of an effort in there and kind of insulted his fan base after. Really, what do you think makes a fighter like Broner freeze up so regularly against world-class opposition? Yeah, you know, um, I noticed like when he fought Vargas, Yeah, you know, he... He waited till I think you know the middle of the fight or yeah. thereafter yep. to really start fighting, and that fight should not have been a draw. With all due respect to Jesse Vargas, who who always shows hard and I like very much, um, Adrian Broner should have won that fight, but he just decided to. Well, I'm going to go in the fourth gear, you know, halfway through the fight, and this simply I said he had to come out at the very beginning of this fight and start letting his hands go. I don't believe anybody could watch that fight and maybe even catch a one, two, three thrown by uh, Adrian Broner uh, the whole fight. Yeah. It all became just trying to throw kind of right, left hook, and those didn't even come out too many too often. Yeah, it was uh, just one bad performance after another for Broner. have to wonder how much longer his career will keep going, but uh, he certainly seems to be confident. I'm not really sure why in the post-fight interview that uh, the rest of it's going to work out. So uh, I, I'm not really sure, um, with all due respect to who's around him, why people don't tell him the truth. I mean, yeah. listen, you can stroke a check all you want, but I believe the reason why he hit a ceiling and the ceiling was before he got to being an elite fighter, why he stopped growing is that, you know, people just stay quiet and just say, well, he's writing a check. I get a percentage of the check, so let's everybody be yes men. Yeah. Well, you know, they did a disservice to him. And in turn, all together, it's all a disservice to, to the sport in general, you know. And he's going to say, yeah, but I got paid. All right, well, you know, at a certain point, I think um, any real man has to think about it his own just real self-pride, self-awareness before the dollar bill. Yeah, I think that's a very good point, Derek. It seems like he's very comfortable in the role of the villain, even if really most of his action comes outside of the ring, then it comes inside of the ring. Uh, In terms of Manny Pacquiao, though, how do you see the rest of his career playing out, especially at 147 signed with Al Heyman? Well, I'm going to tell you the truth. I know he's not going to stop fighting. Yep. Um, but I believe he should. Here's the reason why. Uh-huh. Let's be honest. What does Manny Pacquiao have left to prove to the boxing history or the community? Nothing. Nothing. He has cemented his legacy. And at this point, okay, he had a, a really good spirited uh, uh, effort here in this night at four years old. Um, Broner was never in the fight, even though he should have been. Uh, that said, you have a lot of other young guns in the 147 division that are not going to pull an Adrian Broner. <laughs> um, I don't see how he could deal with, at this point in his career, you know, I'm I'm watching his reactions. I'm watching exactly what he's landing, how he's moving, how he's reacting. It's not the same. He's far from his prime, um, and, you know, this guy's – you know, he was one of the greatest of the, his era, right? Went eight division champion. Now, I'll say this, though. How is he going to beat Keith Thurman? This is the thing about that. 
Porter, Sean Porter, uh, Earl Spence. No, you know that's not gonna happen. Yeah, I hope not. Um, I can even go down. I can even go down the line. You know, to the top two, three guys in the division, and say, man, he would have a lot of trouble. Uh, a guy like Ugas who's coming up right Danny now. Danny Garcia. Um, yeah, Danny Garcia. Uh, your Dennis Ugas. Um, all those guys that are like in the mix of the top three, four fighters in, in the welterweight right now would all be a mountain of a challenge for him. I just don't see where does he go from here. And as far as the Floyd fight goes, yeah. let's be honest. Coming around, he's not going to beat Floyd this time around either, no matter how hard-spirited he is. And Floyd, you know, at this point we all know is 20 times a fighter Broner was. <laughs> so, you know, what, what do we do from there? Um, I don't know. Does he drop back down to 140 pounds? Maybe there's some interesting challenges there. But then again, he's 40 years old. Do you want to stress your body out like that and say, at this age, I'm going to start cutting weight? Yeah. You know, and so now that's kind of like a toss-up. I mean, it would be maybe interesting just because size-wise they're similar, like him and Mikey Garcia. But I would – Venture to say that Mikey would probably be the favorite in a lot of people's uh, eyes in, in that fight. Yeah, I think, you know, honestly, I was thinking about it, and I, I remarked on Twitter this weekend that Mikey Garcia's first fight at 147 really should have been against the likes of Manny Pacquiao, uh, just from a strategic standpoint. I, I think, as well as many others, I'm not sure about yourself, that Pacquiao's welterweight debut against Earl Spence is a very bad idea for him, and... uh a Manny Pacquiao fight, I think, might generate more revenue and might be a safer fight for him. But unfortunately, he's going to have to get by Spence. I, I believe in in the case of uh, Mikey Garcia versus Errol Spence. Okay. It's one of those situations in boxing we always talk about. Sometimes there's a fight um, that money doesn't allow you to pass up, yep. even though it's a bad fight for you. Um, with Mikey, it's a win-win. Yeah. If he loses, like a lot of people say, he's going to get destroyed with Errol Spence. Everybody's gonna say, "Hey, he's two. He's a 135er, you know, and um, he couldn't stop. Uh, even though he had a massive performance against Robert Easter, if you couldn't stop that guy, how are you gonna stop a monster like Errol Spence? Yeah. And then, you know, and on top of that, you know, he's probably now gonna be uh, solidified financially for the rest of his life with this fight. That's a good point. Uh, hopefully, he's able to make a good showing for himself before." Uh... Earl Spence's power becomes a factor in the fight, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe he'll find a way to neutralize Spence's power. It definitely will be an interesting fight going forward. Uh, next up, we'll talk about Demetrius Andrade, who I know you've seen in the gym several times in uh, Boca Raton Police Athletic League boxing gym. What do you think of his performance on Friday night against Artur Akivov? Um, I think he boxed masterfully. Um he really, Akabov was trying to come forward and, and uh, be aggressive. And to his credit, that's what he was supposed to do. But um, above all, Demetrius, he could hardly get past Demetrius' jab. And I don't care what anybody says about trying to be more aggressive and about trying to go for knockouts. You get W's. W's are what secures your future, yeah. right? And... If the guy, if Demetrius was my fighter, I keep telling him, just keep popping that jab out there beautifully like you're doing, right? Like I'm sure Pops told him. And uh, um, if the guy can't get past your jab, 
and he can't uh, make an adjustment to get past that, then you just keep doing what you're doing and go to the easy win. And that's what he did. I mean, he buys master. He, he was the, the two the two shots of the body consistently through the fight behind the jab, jab, drop down to the bottom. Hey, you know, um, he couldn't get much better than that. And I think he's going to get better as it goes along because we all know that he had long layoffs in between fights. Yeah. Um, he definitely looked sharper this time, even though he and his fight before he did drop his opponent um four times i just feel like this time if you look at his footwork if you look at the decision making and everything he looked more balanced than he did in his first fight coming back where you know often he looked a little off balance and and yeah um, i agree you know he just was taking some shots you know yeah i think i think andrade displayed a masterful control of distance throughout the 12 rounds that it went uh, I also want to say that him fighting for matchroom with DAZN boxing is great for his career because DAZN is great at keeping fighters active. They have a lot of shows. They take guys like Tevin Farmer, for example, and they put him in every two months. If they want the activity, they can definitely get it. And I think Andrade in his prime right now, which I think he is, he's going to benefit from that kind of pace. So how do you think Andrade fares against the rest of the 160-pound division? I mean, given the fact that I think it looks like he's peaked at well, this point. Well, it's very interesting. Yeah. It's very interesting. Like you said, I think um, he's going to get better now with, you know, matchroom boxing and zone. what they're doing, keeping their guys busy. It's going to make him sharper. It's going to be very interesting. Um, he gives, let's say, a fighter like uh, Triple G um, – even maybe even more trouble than Jacobs yeah. did because even though Jacobs is long like Andrade is and everything, I think uh, Demetrius has it's just a little bit slicker, yeah, um, a little more craftier than Jacobs is in the ring. So I think he gives uh, somebody like that even more trouble. So I don't know if they really want a piece of that. Um, eventually, you know, um, as long as he keeps winning, they're all going to have to see him. That's true. Whether it's Canelo, whether one day the Charlo brothers decide to, you know, cross over and, and, and fight on the zone. Yeah. Um, I don't know how that's going to play out, but in any case, I think anybody who gets to the top of the 160-pound uh, division is going to have a very difficult fight with uh, in front of the major And that, that brings up the next point I wanted to make oh. is that can you see Andrade becoming one of the most avoided middleweight champions in the world if he isn't already? Uh, it's very possible. You know, I, I think the toughest fight, really, that he's going to have along the way um, will be Canelo, yeah. I believe. Um, just because Canelo's, you know, uh, speed, his ability to put punches together. Um, Canelo's grown a lot as a fighter. His defense is good. His offense is good. Um, he's very active when he fights. I think that will be his toughest challenge, but I, I can legitimately see him beating everybody else. And then, you know, that fight is, is, is going to be a difficult fight, um, which in which he'll have to use all his length, you know, his craftiness and his, you know, especially his jab and his physical attributes to, uh, to get a W. Yep. Well, they're all on the zone, so they all have, uh, at least they don't have to worry about obstacles in terms of networks and, uh, well, networks in terms of making the fight happen. Now, we have Canelo versus Danny Jacobs that was recently announced. What's your take on this matchup? Um, it's interesting because I I thought that when Oscar said 
that he wanted Eric Gomez to make the fight with GGG. It was actually um, part of a technical ploy to get Jacobs oh. um, to grab the fight. I told that to a couple of people. You know, it was too quick. Right after that, you know, a week and a half later, Jacobs accepts yeah. the fight. Um, Jacobs is all heart. We all know that, you know, and he comes out and he tries. I think he's going to have a lot of problems with Canelo's speed. Yeah. And um, so we'll see what happens. I favor Canelo in that fight. Um, I know Jacobs, everybody likes Jacobs. He's a good guy um, in, in boxing. And um, I think he'll try to put his effort, but I just can't really see him getting past Canelo. Do you think Jacobs is going to rumble with Canelo or try to box him? Because we saw Jacobs on his toes looking very good against Triple G. <laughs> But we've also seen the fighter in Jacobs emerge. I'm not really sure. I think he's going to be. For, I think he's going to be forced to at some point. Um, if you look at when he fought Sergey Derevenko, yeah. um, you know there was there was times where he got caught there at Derevenko, um, which is similar size, but of course, you know, n- no disrespect to him, not as gifted yeah. as Canelo, was able to get inside uh, Jacobs and was able to. You know, every now and then catch him with shot, give him some rough shot. I can tell you this, Jacobs definitely did not sit back on the ropes mm-hmm. um, and, and, and lean back, you know, using any kind of rope with dope as a defense. That's not going to work at all. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see, man. He's going to have to put everything he has together. This is by far going to be the most difficult fight. I agree, and it's, uh, at least for me, the – one of my uh, most hotly anticipated fights of this year so far. So Marcus Brown, last night he got a gory paint job of Badoo Jack, you can call it. Um, won a 12-round decision. What was your take on that fight? Well, first of all, I know that the cut was really bad. Um, but to Marcus Brown's credit, he controlled the fight uh, pretty much before that. Not that he was over-dominating, not that he was uh, beaten down by Jack, but he really had control of the fight and had won every round prior yeah. to that. Uh, as far as the cut goes, it was very unfortunate. Clash of the heads. Um, Battle Jack, I don't know, he just didn't seem to be able to get into gear. I actually had picked Battle Jack to win that fight. Um, he didn't get into gear. I will say this. I thought it went on way too long. Yep. Um, I, you know, I hate to call out corners, man, you know, because he, listen, he has a great cut man and, and Russ Hammer, but I think you could have had Russ Hammer, you could have had Ben Lira, you could have had Danny Milano, you could have had uh, Mikey Ride, you could have had Stitch Duran all in that corner, and there's no way they could have stopped that cut. You know, and those are the all The way it was corners, oriented, was right, right? down. Yeah. So I say to myself, I, I think as it opened up, when it opened up even more after the uppercut, when he got hit with an uppercut and it started yeah. gushing out, I don't understand why Lou DeVal, his head cornerman, didn't stop the fight. I don't understand why the doctors at ringside didn't no stop idea. it. I don't understand, you know, Tony Weiss, who I respect also, should have made a, a plea. I mean, when you see that, that was quite possibly the worst cut I've ever seen in my whole life that I've been yeah. in boxing. And I don't understand why 
it round after round they let that go. You live to fight another yeah. day. You know he, God forbid he gets you know um, you know hurt even and worse. And that cut literally went from being something that was an inch long to about three inches long down to almost what looks like the yeah. bone. That that was awful. That, I, I think they handled that very yeah. well. Yeah, I mean not only not yeah. only did. Badu Jack have little chance of winning, at least in the late rounds, but the cut was opening up progressively as the fight went on against punches that he wasn't able to see coming because the blood was pouring all over his eyes. Um, right. You could tell as he's moving around that he kept swiping at his eyes, kept swiping. He, and Marcus Brown, smartly enough, um, kept jabbing him. I was actually a little surprised that after he hit with the uppercut and the blood started gushing, Marcus Brown just kind of sat back for a second. Tony yeah. Weeks didn't do anything. He, Marcus Brown at that point was supposed to jump yeah, all he over him. away. And, and he didn't. Yeah. And, and the other thing was when the doctors take Badu Jack, who showed an incredible amount of heart as a warrior, as a fighter, when the doctors uh, ask him, they look at the cut and they ask him, <laughs> do you want to continue? I'm going to tell you something, uh, Alden. A fighter has what we call fight talk. He will always say he can beat somebody. He will always say that he's in the fight. He will always think that he can get the punch in in time. You have to sometimes stop a fighter and save him from himself and say, hey, listen, you're going to come back. You, you, you've been doing great in your career. We, we live to fight You know, that's day. such a great point, Derek. And I was thinking the same thing. Why would you ask the fighter whether or not he can continue? A guy is conditioned to say yes. He has that warrior mentality drilled into his head just from the sport of boxing. Isn't it the job of the officials, the doctors, to save a fighter from himself when he can't make that decision cognizantly anymore? It's, uh, I, I thought it was a real disservice. Absolutely. Absolutely, Alden. They they told him, "Are you sure?" And he just shook his head. They okay, but um, even beyond that, if he was my fighter, I people asked me last night, "Would you have stopped the fight?" Yeah. Absolutely, without a doubt. With no regrets, I would have stopped the fight. That would uh, that would be a highly commendable stoppage on your part. Um, Marcus Brown versus the rest of the 175 pound division. He called out. Alexander Vazdik after last night, how do you think he fares? Do you think he's ready for that level of opposition? Yeah, um, well, for Marcus Brown, that obviously uh, would be, apart from Bad of Jack, who was his toughest competition at the time, would be, uh, you know, another fight that, that would be a, higher, a bigger mountain to climb. Um, as we all know, because do the promotional situations. I don't know if that would happen. Um, it'd be tough, man. Uh, Gazovic is, is a very tough fighter who seems to be, have pretty much, you know, 90% of, of what you would call the complete package. Um, and it would be a definitely interesting, uh, interesting fight. Um, we just saw what he did with a left-hander and a Donna Stevenson, you know? So, um, We'll see what yep, happens. That would be a very good fight. There's plenty of other good fights for him. Munch the Titleist, Dmitry Bivol, Artur Baturbiev, who I actually think Marcus Brown would beat, uh, and Alider Alvarez, who's going up against Sergey Kovalev in a rematch in February. Uh, a lot of really good fights for him. 
Uh, but Gosdick, that's probably the cream of the crop of the crop at 175. At least that's how I see it right now. Well, Gosdick, like you said, the 175 pound division, going back to a couple years ago, was heating up greatly. Um, three, four years ago, and maybe hotter now than it was back then. Um, back then, when you had Sergey Kovalev uh, yeah. running the division and um, you had Sullivan Barrera, you know, making his charge. And you had, uh, all these other names out there, the Shabrancis of the world and, and Joe Smith is still there. And now you add Bivol and, and, uh, um, like you said, uh, you have Beaterbred still out there, Battle Jack, Marcus Brown. Right now, the division, I think, is even better than it was back then. It's even tougher. Um, right now, I don't think any of the guys in the top five, maybe even the top seven are guaranteed to win against another. I think so. I think that's a very good point. Dimitri Bivol starting to look slightly more vulnerable than he did in his last two fights. We'll see how his career progresses. Uh, A lot of great fights to be made at 175. I'm really looking forward to this year and next. Uh, Jorge Linares knocked out in the first round by Pablo Cesar Cano in the Hulu theater. Were you as shocked as I was when I saw that? No, I'm not as shocked at all. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, actually, I had told a friend of mine before that I was a little surprised at the matchmaking for that um, yeah. fight, for that particular fight. And the reason why I say that is uh, Paulo Cesar Cano had given a lot of trouble to, to tough, tough fighters for many years. Even though he's only 29, for many years he'd been across the board. There was a couple fights that Paul could have probably gone his way. Um, he gave hell to... Yeah, he, he gave hell to guys at 147. Now, you got Linares coming up from 135, and let's be honest, Linares didn't look any different at 140 than 135. Didn't look any more filled out. Um, I, you know, I've met him in person several times. Um, didn't look any bigger. The moment I saw Cano walk into the ring, I immediately said, oh, yeah. Linares might be in trouble. And because you could tell the size difference. And the moment he's, uh, Cano started coming forward, after the first drop, uh, I, I, I remember t- saying to a, a friend of mine, hmm. Cano's going to stop him. It might not be this round, but Cano's going to stop him. Um, that's why sometimes, and it's very important when you do matchmaking, they said, oh, this guy, you know, he's 6-5 and five in his last 11 fights. All right, well, records out the door. Darnell Boone didn't have the greatest record, but he could – Surprise and upset any any of your guys. Emmanuel Augustus was always a tough out. You 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 have to go beyond scratching the record, of the surface, you know, and go beyond and, and look deeper. You know, what kind of fight does this opponent give? You know, you know, at what weights did he give? Who did he match before? So, to be honest with you, this is just my opinion. I think it was a really bad match. Uh, making selection for Jorge Linares. Now, Jorge Linares, I believe he needs to go back either to 135 um, or that might be it because he's just going to end up fighting bigger people. And as you just saw with Cano there, who's, you know, strong, tough, uh, amazing fighter, 
Um, he may That's not be able to point. get past that power. It brings me to my next point, is that at Lenaris's age, it seems like a veteran like that, you think he can comfortably cut down weight and play hopscotch up and down the scale like he would have to to get back down to 135? You know, it's a good question. I noticed it after the fight. He said, oh, it was hurting me. I mean, we're talking about a guy who, you know, was a 130-pound fighter before, until 135. I don't know if maybe they can bring in some kind of, yeah. you know, nutritionalist, uh, specialist to help him out to make 135. What I do know is what that showed me is that he wouldn't get past the top guys at 140. Um, and actually, for one, uh, for uh, Paulo Cesar Cano, that uh, that win the other night might actually open miraculously a door to the world title. He may yeah, get a shot with uh, Murray Stoker for that. I think it's important to note that while it was shocking for some to see Linares get stopped uh, against Cano, he has been stopped a total of three times in the first two rounds, two of which took place in the first and second rounds of fights at 130 pounds. Uh, do you think it was as much of the size as it was the fact that Linares might have a suspect chin? No, I, I you know, I think it was the size. I mean, Linares is a very skilled boxer, um, but I can just tell from the body language. When he got dropped the second time, I was like, uh oh, you know, this is, this is, you could just see it in his eyes. He couldn't handle the size. And, um, you know, unfortunately for a fighter like him, yeah, I, I enjoy watching Jorge Linares. Um, his boxing skill is, is a very good one. You know, boxing is an art. I like, I like guys that can, you know, um, throw beautiful combinations and move around well. And you saw how well he did for, the time he lasted with um, Lomachenko. So what do you say? I mean, you you say, oh, well, he can't fight 135 because he lost to Lomachenko? No. You know, there's other guys in 135. Everybody's losing to Lomachenko. So what do you do with that? Yeah. You know, you just set that aside. That was yeah, I think night. there's definitely a lot more to offer from Jorge Linares. Hopefully he's able to recover from that shocking knockout loss to Pablo Cesar Cano. So um, that just about wraps it up for our interview between myself and Derek Santos. Any closing words, Derek? No, I just uh, like to thank you and like to thank uh, all the supporters of the DS Boxing family. Um, we're always out there working hard for you guys and uh, keep doing the right thing out there, Absolutely. everybody. In, in Thanks for being with community. us tonight, Derek. Hope you have a good one. And next up, we have Michael Carber, the editor of TheFightCity.com and my regular co-host. How are you tonight, Michael? I'm doing well, Alden. How are you? Very well, very well. So previously, we had Derek Santos, trainer of Sullivan Barrera, here on the show to discuss Adrian Broner and Manny Pacquiao. I'll probably spare you the frustration if you'd like to not talk about Adrian Broner's uh, yet another one of his thrilling performances and we'll go right into Oscar Rivas, Canadian heavyweight who just scored a very impressive 12th round stoppage, a former title challenger and WBO number two ranked Brian Jennings. What's your take of Rivas's performance? Well, this was a huge win for Oscar Rivas. And um, while it doesn't necessarily 
put Oscar Rivas in the, what shall we say, the upper echelon of the heavyweight division yet. I mean, Oscar Rivas is a guy who's been around for a while. Uh, he's originally from Colombia. He's an Olympian, uh, outstanding amateur career, and he was signed on by Yvonne Michel uh, and brought to Montreal. He's a very close friend, as I understand it, by the way, with Elider Alvarez, who's mm -hmm. getting ready very soon to face uh, Sergei Kovalev in their rematch. And um, uh, Alvarez also from Colombia. And, uh, you know, your heart goes out to Rivas because he has tremendous talent. He has the pedigree. And yet he hasn't been able to really get his pro career going. Uh, he's had he's had different setbacks. Um, and, you know, the most notable one being when he was all set to go down to, I believe, California and he was going to fight Gerald Washington. And that would have been a huge fight. Yep. And then right, he, right before the fight, he didn't pass the physical. The, the, the commission detected a problem with his eye and uh, the fight didn't happen. And so since then, Rivas had surgery. The eye is no longer an issue. And so this match with Jennings, this this was huge. He had to win this. And um, uh, people in Montreal who are involved in, in the boxing scene here and have been following Rivas, I mean, you can imagine it's been a lot of years of hoping and waiting. And, you know, people here, there's a lot of people here in Montreal who believe in his talent and his ability. And so there were there were a number who actually made the journey down to the States to be there in person for the fight with Jennings. And, you know, for 10, 11 rounds, it wasn't exactly a scintillating fight or a scintillating performance. Mm -hmm. But before the before the bell rang for round 12, as I understand it, trainer Mark Ramsey uh, laid it on the line with Rivas and said, look, you know, you've got to do something here and, and just think about everything you've been through, all the difficulties you've been through, all the hard work. Something that Ramsey said obviously hit the right note because Rivas came out for that last round uh, like a man on a mission and all credit to him. He got the job done. And so moving forward, you just hope that that same fire uh, that we saw in the final round and that, that proved the difference. Uh, I mean, it should be noted that, correct me if I'm wrong, Alden, but no one has stopped Jennings before, well, or at least Klitschko, Klitschko could not stop him, but Luis Ortiz did stop him. But that is a good point. He did go okay. 12 rounds with Vladimir Klitschko and took a lot of his best punches very well. So, so it's a significant, significant, uh, a major accomplishment. Let's yep. put it that way. For Rivas to score that stoppage, finally get a big win, and it puts him in position to hopefully get another big fight. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know who Group Ivan Michel can uh, is is looking to, but. I mean, Joseph Parker would be nice. Uh, 
Dominic Brazil. Um, I don't know, maybe Gerald Miller. I mean, it, it would be great to see Oscar Re Rivas in the ring with, with a heavyweight who everyone acknowledges as a top contender. And let's see if Oscar Rivas can become, um, you know, a, a major player in the heavyweight division. It, it would be exciting for Canada. It would be exciting for Montreal. It would be exciting for Colombia. Rivas, yeah, he born in Colombia, now resides in Montreal. If he became heavyweight champion, he would be the second heavyweight champion out of Canada in boxing history, right after the five foot seven, one hundred and seventy five pound Tommy Burns. <laughs> who won the heavyweight title in the early 20th century. You think he's Canada's best chance for another champion? I mean, we had Lennox Lewis, who resided in Canada for a period of time. We had Donovan Razor Ruddick, who uh, nearly won the heavyweight title. Uh, he definitely could have won it in many other eras. Um, but now we have Oscar Rivas. So. Excellent question. And I could go on probably for a long time. <laughs> In answering that question, uh, Lennox Lewis, first, well, first of all, Lennox Lewis, it should be noted, um, many regard him as a British heavyweight, and I have no problem with that. He was born there, but it's worth noting that he started boxing in Canada, and he learned how to box in Canada, and then he represented Canada at the Olympics and won a gold medal. Um and then the only reason he ended up going back to England was because there just wasn't the infrastructure in place in Canada to help him really launch a legitimate pro career. And, uh, and no one can blame him for that. And no one in Canada can, can uh, hold anything against him for that. Now, so that aside, there's no question. Right now, at this present time, Oscar Rivas, who, yes, absolutely, he's a Colombian. He's a proud Colombian. He went to the Olympics, and he, he represented Colombia. Outstanding pro career. He won a medal at the Pan American Games. Um, but when he turned pro, it was Yvonne Michel who reached out to him and brought him to Montreal. And so his entire pro career has been based in Canada, based in Montreal. And there's, as I say, he is the best heavyweight in Canada right now. But allow me just to say the heavyweight scene in Canada is really interesting. There's a number of, I mean, none of these fighters are, are going to compete at the top levels of the division. But guys like Dylan Carmen and Adam Braidwood um, Simon Keane, uh, there's a few others, Eric Martel, Bahuli, if I'm saying his name correctly, although I think he's retired. I mean, the Canadian heavyweight scene has been actually very interesting because there's been so many terrific fights. Um, Dylan Carmen just uh, knocked out Simon Keane in Quebec City a little while ago. Tremendous one-punch knockout. And uh, if you go back, if you, if you go on the YouTube and do a search for Dylan Carmen versus Eric Martel Bahuli, you know, thank me later because that is one of the most thrilling heavyweight brawls uh, that you can see from recent years. So that so the heavyweight division, the heavyweight division in Canada, it's been lively. It's been a lively scene, but none of these fighters, I would I would admit. Um, 
are probably going to give, um, you know, Deontay Wilder or uh, Anthony Joshua or Tyson Fury much to worry about, um, with the exception of Oscar Rivas now. So that that's where we're at. Oscar Rivas is he may not hold the official Canadian championship uh, for the heavyweight division, but there's no doubt that he's the best uh, professional fighter in the heavyweight division out of Canada. And let's see what he can do. Let's, let's hope that this big win will lead to something even bigger in the near future. And, uh, and let's see if he can, he can, I mean, I for one would love to see Oscar Rivas versus Deontay Wilder or Anthony Joshua. And I'm willing to say that, you know what, I bet he he does give away quite a bit of height to the rest of the heavyweight division, at least the upper echelon. I think Oscar Rivas is just a tick above six foot. He's very stocky, though, very strongly built. He, um, With the victory, he will definitely find himself well into the IBF top 10. He was coming into the fight number 10, beating a number eight ranked Bryant Jennings by the IBF. His promoter, being group Yvonne Michelle, doesn't strike me as a promoter that has any quarrels with making good fights happen with uh, any other promoters. Um, you mentioned that he can get a fight with uh, Joseph Parker. He should fight up the likes of a Joseph Parker, maybe a Derek Chisora. Those kind of guys would get him closer to that title contention. Um, is there any fighter in particular that you would really want to see him fight next, realistically for him? Oh, that's a very good question. Uh <sighs> Well, you know, I mean, Gerald Miller comes to mind because Miller fought a, in his last match. He fought uh, Bogdan uh, Dinu. Um, oh, the Romanian. Yes, Bogdan Dinu, and and Dinu um, for some time, for for a certain amount of time, anyway, in the last few years, he was working out of Montreal. So it makes me wonder if maybe a Rivas Miller fight might be easier to make. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Rivas is the type of, of fighter, I mean, he's got all the experience. He's got all the ability. He's got the background. You know, he fought in the Pan American Games. He fought at the Olympics. So it's not a – It's not a. he's the kind of fighter where you look at his record and, you know, there's nothing to build. There's nothing to create in the sense of, oh, he needs more experience against top-level guys. No, he needs a breakthrough fight. And Group of Michel was working for that or looking to make that happen with the Gerald Washington matchup, and then it fell through. And so now we have the Brian Jennings fight, and for 10, 11 rounds, it looked like, oh, Rivas wasn't going to capitalize on the opportunity. Then in the final round, he does it. So, yes, I mean, this is not the time to have him um, go in against, you know, some journeyman and, and, and stay busy. It, now is the time to build on the success of that big win. Mm. And I would love to see him take on a Pavekin, maybe, a Pulev, a Joseph Parker, somebody, a big name who belongs in the top ten of the heavyweights and, and – I mean, why not? This is the time to take the chance, and and then Rivas would be a player. He'd be a name. Nobody could avoid him. You've got to take him into account. 
he becomes somebody that the sanctioning bodies and the champions have to look at. And uh, well, so hopefully the that's right the next, if he wants the to next big step get the notice for Oscar of the sanctioning Rivas. bodies because Kubrat Pulev is the number one ranked fighter by the IBF currently. He might be closing in on a title shot himself, but I think that would be a very good transitional fight for Oscar Rivas, who looked very good in his 12th round stoppage on Friday night. Also on the undercard, we had Shakur Stevenson, the 2016 Olympic silver medalist of the United States, improving to 10-0 against 22-1 Jesse Chris Rosales, getting very impressive fourth-round stoppage. Now here's another guy who is looking to make a serious imprint on the upper echelon of his division. He came out of the fight, came into the fight, calling out the IBF champion of the world, Josh Warrington. Uh <laughs> Shakur Stevenson himself came into the fight ranked number 11 by the IBF. I'd have to assume he's in the top 10 after. Um, You think he's moving too quickly? He's only 21 years old with 10 fights, uh, but he definitely passes the eye test. He passes the eye test. He's got the talent. He's got all the ability. I mean, everyone can see that. Uh, but what's the hurry? You know, I mean, if 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 I'm uh, if I'm managing Shakur Stevenson, I'm thinking about uh, you know Lee yeah. Selby or somebody like that. Like put him in with a major contender uh, to give him the experience and the seasoning. Um, there's no hurry. There's no rush. He's still a young guy. Uh, he's got all the time in the world. And uh, he's only he's only ten fights into his pro career. Um, don't 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 rush him. And then you've got a setback, you got a defeat, and then he's not able to uh, recover from it. And you've wasted all that potential. So, I mean, he's only twenty one years old. Give him the time. Put him in with some contenders. Put him in with some some guys who are going to challenge him and help him develop further, develop his abilities. Yeah, I mean, besides the that would be my list of who's who at the top of the 126 pound division, you got some pretty good name fighters that are contenders right now: Kiko Martinez, Scott Quigg, Janice Servania. As you mentioned, uh, Lee Selby would be a good fight for him. I think any one of these guys would be all that's necessary. Just one victory against them to put him into title contention. And I still view him as a bit of an unknown quantity. The majority of his victories have come with him uh, just outclassing or overpowering lesser opponents, as we saw Friday. He's, he looks like a very big featherweight. I really want to see how he does against a guy who uh, either matches his size or can take his best punch and, and push him. Uh, I don't know uh, if there's a real advantage for him becoming a world champion early, which could be the case. And then while he is the champion of the world, have to face that adversity for the first time with all that on the line. You know, some fighters have been able to do it. You had Wilfred Benitez at 17 years old. You have Mike Tyson, I believe, 21 years old. Floyd Patterson as well. Uh, but not everybody can have a healthy uh, uh, career with plenty of longevity if they start that early. I don't know if you have any opinions on that matter, but uh, 21 is pretty young and 10 fights is – is uh, pretty novice. Yeah, I think we're on the same page, Alden. I mean, I just don't see what the hurry is. Um, 
you know, there's some there's some really interesting, potentially big money matches that could happen if you take your time and let them develop. I mean, look at the featherweight division. This is this is you know everybody talks about how stacked the welterweight division is yeah. or the light heavyweight division, and they are. But the featherweight division is pretty stacked too. And uh, I mean, I, I would I would put down my money to see Shakur Stevenson yeah. not right away, but say a year from now take on Oscar Valdez. I mean that that to me is a is a fight. That's a mouth-watering matchup, right? I mean, you know, and then there's Carl Frampton. There's Leo Santa Cruz. I mean, there's a lot of guys in the featherweight yeah. division that Stevenson could potentially go on to make a lot of money with. Uh, so, you know, don't, 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 don't blow it. Don't, don't get ahead of yourself and rush things when you don't need to. Uh, yeah, it's all Oscar there Valdez waiting for them you if you him, take the time and develop Promoted the by top rank. I think it's something that they might have their eye on for, for something down the line, but that they definitely don't have their eye on in the immediate future. I mean, there's just way too much to lose for top rank as an organization to either have Shakur Stevenson face his first defeat because of inexperience or Oscar Valdez, another undefeated champion, lose uh, – perhaps as a result of not being able to recover from that broken jaw that he suffered in his last fight against Scott Quigg. Of course, Oscar Valdez will be in action pretty soon himself. But speaking of featherweight champions, we have Salvador Sanchez, who on Saturday, January 26th, this coming Saturday, he would have turned 60 years old, but he died tragically at the age of 23 in a car accident following his a uh, tremendous victory over Azuma Nelson via last round, 15th round stoppage. Uh, any, any, any word, uh, any, uh, anything to look forward to in this article about Salvador Chantez, this look back at his legendary career? Well, you're, you bring this up Alden, because you know that the fightcity.com we have a very healthy regard for Salvador Sanchez. And yes, of course, the anniversary of his birth is coming up. And um, anybody can do a search on the fightcity.com and you'll find all kinds of information, all kinds of interesting stuff about Salvador Sanchez. First of all, uh, we've, we have more than one in-depth post on the site about Mexican boxing and the greatest Mexican fighters. And my colleague on the fightcity.com, uh, Rafael Garcia, who incidentally is Mexican. Um, we, we have a excellent, uh, well, I think it's excellent, uh, an interesting, entertaining in-depth debate about the greatest boxers of all time that came from Mexico and we rank them, and in the end, it's a choice. Who's the number one guy? It comes down to either Julio Cesar Chavez or Salvador Sanchez. And Rafael, he opts for Chavez. I say Sanchez. And Sanchez, I mean, his career was cut short. He died very young. It, it, it's tragic. It's regrettable, of course. But in the short time that he had, look at look at the record. I mean, it, it's astonishing what he managed to accomplish in a very short period of time from when he defeated Danny Lopez in an upset 
uh, stoppage win uh, to, to get the title. And then, unlike so many champions of today, he was a fighting champion. He was defending his title on a regular basis. And he took on some excellent fighters, uh, Ruben Castillo, Patrick Ford, uh, Juan Laporte, uh, Azuma Nelson, as you mentioned. And then, of course, yes, I was just going to say, of course, the huge win was uh, the, the classic Mexico versus Puerto Rico battle uh, but with Wilfredo Gomez. And most people favored Gomez to win that fight. And it ended up being a one-sided shellacking uh, for Salvador. A terrific fight, mind you. But there was, you know, Sanchez really got the better of Gomez and stopped him in eight rounds. And uh, within a very short period of time, I mean, Sanchez put together a, a record and a, a streak of wins, which is just extraordinary. And... Um, so, and then in addition to that, yeah. Lee Wiley has done an excellent, uh, well, Lee Wiley does nothing but excellent uh, boxing video. And uh, we put together one on Salvador Sanchez. So we love to feature that and, and bring that to people's attention. So, yeah, we'll have some excellent uh, content up on the fightcity.com to honor uh, the birthday of Salvador Sanchez, who is one of the greatest featherweights of all time and we have a top 12 featherweight list on the site by the way and he's on it and Definitely. he's Salvador arguably Sanchez the greatest mexican boxer now, i want to say time. there were talks that if he were to live a bit longer i believe don king was talking about something between himself uh salvador sanchez and alexis arguello i might i might be far off uh and there there probably were many great fights to make uh, between Sanchez, Arguello, maybe Sanchez and Julio Cesar Chavez. Uh, just very unfortunate that he had to go at age 23. Yes, you're absolutely right. You're not exaggerating anything. At the time of his death, negotiations were going on for a, a super, I mean, think about it. It would have been huge. Alexis Arguello versus Salvador Sanchez. I mean, so it, it would have involved Sanchez vaulting up in weight, but it would have been a massive, for, for, the, for a lower weight fight at that time, it would have been a, a big event. And yes, that, that, was a, that was a serious prospect. And, and it speaks to how highly regarded Salvador Sanchez was at the time. He was on the cusp of, you know, absolute all-time legendary greatness. I mean, imagine if he had scored a win over Alexis Arguello. That would have been that would have taken him to an, a whole other level. Um, so yes, that unfortunately, the rumor is that uh, Sanchez was honoring a booty call. When he was driving in, uh, he loved fast cars. He loved sports cars. He made a mistake. He made a miscalculation. He tried to pass a truck, and he got smashed by another truck and was killed instantly on a lonely Mexican road. And, uh, you know, it's a great loss to, to, to boxing that, that that happened. And yet, 
before he died, he accomplished so much in such a short span of time. Yeah, definitely. And uh, one and one. Salvador Sanchez will forever be one of my favorite one fighters. Greatest featherweights and one of the greatest Mexican boxers of all time. Stay tuned for a piece on him later this week on thefightcity.com. And, and also, thefightcity.com will be covering one of the most memorable heavyweight non-title fights. Maybe one of the most memorable heavyweight title Maybe one of the most memorable heavyweight fights that I can remember. Uh, 43rd anniversary on Thursday between George Foreman and Ron Lyle. A fight that Jim Lampley once called Gunslinger versus Gunslinger. Uh, fifth round knockout for George Foreman. Both of them hit the deck. Both of them got up and scored some more punishment. Uh, man, I really am at a loss for words. It's just that kind of a breathtaking fight to even think about. Well, it's one of the greatest heavyweight slugfests of all time. No doubt about it. So it's okay, Alden, if you're at a loss for words because it's one of those – it's that it's that kind of a fight. I mean, uh, and so and so for all boxing fans, Foreman versus Lyle um, produces very vivid memories. And uh, we'll, be, we'll be marking the anniversary as, as we do. Um, uh, so there's an in-depth article with a video on the site, and uh, it's a remarkable fight. I mean, it, it should be remembered that the 1970s. I don't personally. I don't think there's any question about this. It that era is the greatest ever in the history of the heavyweight division. Never before or since have there been so many. Big, strong, talented, capable heavyweight boxers, which of course, which of course, uh, lends credence to the fact that Muhammad Ali is the greatest heavyweight of all time because he was the champion of that era. Um, and uh, Ron Lyle was no slouch. He never won the heavyweight crown, although he fought for it. He, but uh, you know, he was no slouch. He was he was a dangerous fighter. And George Foreman, this. This match was so important for Foreman. Everything was on the line for him because he was still recovering from his defeat to Ali in 1974. So this match was on national television. Howard Cassell was ringside, and it was an absolute toe-to-toe slugfest and uh, as thrilling a heavyweight fight as you're likely to ever see in the whole history of boxing. I mean... The only fight that I that immediately comes to mind that you can compare to it would be Jack Dempsey versus Louis Furpo, um, in the sense that there were multiple knockdowns, multiple moments in the fight where you you thought, oh, it's definitely over now, but no, it wasn't. The boxer who just got knocked down somehow gets up, and then he knocks the other guy down. You know, so it's one of those kinds of um, incredibly dramatic. Uh, exciting, thrilling battles, and uh, we're, I mean, we're more than was, happy uh, at thefightcity.com the the fight to just uh, how pay tribute to sure it. Excitement. Uh, just his enthusiasm behind the mic. I, I hardly ever heard Cosell just lose it like that. I mean, he was just watching two guys just give everything they had, and, and it was, you know, as you said, anyone could have won at any moment. It was a true duel between two fighters that are 
not just great punchers, but vulnerable just enough, at least at that stage in Foreman's career, that uh, it was kind of a pick em fight throughout the five rounds that it lasted. Yeah, I, and you know, I'm old enough. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to give this away, Alden, but I'm old enough to be able to say, I miss Howard Cassell. There's never been anybody quite like him. The guy was, you know, he could be inept at times. Uh, there were times where, you know, he said stuff that was completely inaccurate. But, you know, I miss the days when you had uh, commentators for fights with such personality, uh, such such presence um, that they that that when they called the fight, they actually made it more of a of an event. And uh, Howard Cassell was one of those guys. He he was an incredible personality, and uh, I, I I think back fondly to uh, when he was around and he was calling the, the really big fights. Uh, and I hope, I hope, well, I, I think, you know, I would love it if somebody uh, else would come along who could fill his shoes, but I got a it's never going to happen. Listening to. He was certainly the most charismatic commentator that I've heard in this present era, but I have no doubts that Howard Cosell um, is one of the greatest commentators in the history of boxing and just his interviews with Muhammad Ali alone. There's some great content there. Uh, Howard Cosell will be truly missed. 